Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Well, Sam and I made it unscathed through another Major League Baseball non-waiver trade deadline two years in a row, which Sam and I have not been dealt. Uh, went down to the wire. There were some rumors. There was a lot of stuff on, on Twitter, but uh, ultimately still in the same in the same gigs. Hi, Sam. Hi. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm always worried about the waiver deadline, too. Yeah, true. That's the- true. For can't some of mess. us, but yeah, we can't sleep through August either. Yeah, rest so. on our laurels here. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just because hey. 4 p.m. is pa- past us doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean we've made safe. it safely through to the other side. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, welcome in. It's the 70th episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. I am Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is in New York City hanging out like in a hallway today. Yeah. No, I'm in a quiet spot. Office. Uh, it's like a pga broadcast <laughs> Ernie L's I, I wish i could hello friends <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah no so we're gonna i'm gonna do my best to make sam be really loud but for this first segment he can't be no no i won't be don't just worry try to get you fired up use terms like on fleek for the, the whole oh show. god i think uh, it's already out of vogue i think so i don't think they use it anymore the teens no. No, if we no. have any teens listening, teens or tweens or tweens, get in contact with us. Teens I, I, or tweens. I would love to know if there is a tween. Not if you even use Fleek, just if there's a tween. Yeah, just if there is a tween us. fan of the show before the show podcast. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, we'll come up with some special promotion for you if you are if you can prove that you are a tweener listening to the podcast. That works. We do with that. Um so yeah, with that, the 70th episode of the show before the show arrives in your ear holes, and uh, we got a ton to talk about. Let's get started here momentarily. Three strikes coming up with a whole lot of conversation pertaining to the trade deadline. Before we get to it, you can head to iTunes, give the uh, show before the show a rating and a review and a subscription. And, oh, by the way, you can head to the Stitcher app as well now. If you are an Android user, if you are somebody who just prefers Stitcher, head on over to the Stitcher app. We are now there as well. You can find us on Stitcher as the Minor League Baseball Podcast. The show before the show is there, so uh, give us a give us a look there too, because uh, we're all over the place. We're, you know, making things happen. We're like I said last week. We're uh, this time Stitcher, next time the world. Yeah, it's just slowly plotting around the podcasting world, and yeah, we're just yeah. taking. We're, first, we have iTunes, and we have Stitcher. If anybody else knows of any other place we should be taking over, we'll gladly do it. Just let, shoot us a note about it, and we'll uh, we'll find our way there as well. We can make it happen. Uh, so let's get started today with uh, strike number one. The Major League Baseball non waiver trade deadline is behind us, and uh, a whole lot of deals went down. Obviously, that is something that. Uh, 
you know is going to be coming into this stretch of the season, but you never know what the full scope of it is going to look like. And man, was it a scope this year. A ton of big deals. Um, let's just recap it first. Obviously, a lot to unpack here, Sam, but um, we saw, I believe it was eight top 100 prospects moved uh, out of the MLB pipeline rankings in all of baseball and a whole lot of ranked organizational prospects moved to the deadline as well. Um, just kind of give me your, your initial knee-jerk reaction a couple of days removed from the deadline. Yeah, well, it, the first thing that seems really interesting and noteworthy and just overall strange is that the Yankees are the winners of the trade deadline from our point of view, but not in a way that they traded for talent. I mean, we're so used to talking about the Yankees as a team that's you know, building through free agency, signing, you know, they win the offseason. That's what they do. They they spend big money on contracts, and now they were shedding um, some of their, you know, bigger bigger players uh, and Carlos Beltran and Andrew Miller and Araldis Chapman. And for any other team, we would call this a rebuild because, you know, they picked up Clint Frazier, top 100 prospect, Libra Torres, top 100 prospect, Justice Sheffield, top 100 prospect, Dylan Tate, number four overall pick last year, Billy McKinney, former top 100 overall po- prospect. Uh, we, we would call this a rebuild. I mean, that's what we did for the Phillies, right? That's what we call, did for the Reds last offseason. It doesn't feel like we could ever use the word rebuild with the Yankees. Uh, so this is a more of a retooling, I guess. But they, you know, they decided they're not going to compete this year. Or maybe they decided, you know, these guys aren't necessary for us working down the stretch. They turned uh, Miller into, you know, some really, really good prospects. And Frazier and Sheffield, they turned a rental in Chapman into Gleber Torres plus three other guys. Uh, and they turned Carlos Beltran into the number four overall pick last year. Another guy who's just going to be a rental in Texas. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it feels strange to call the Yankees you know, the winners in the way they sold, but that's uh, kind of was the my biggest takeaway about the, about this is just the way that the Yankees system it might be the best in the game right now, or it, it's certainly in the top three, um, and we're just not used to talking about them in that way. Now, how they develop that talent, that's what we'll be paying attention to, you know, this offseason going into next year, because uh, it's difficult to say who who's the last you know, real big Yankees prospect that's turned into somebody. Um, I know Jesus Montero is uh, on the lips of a lot of people, especially around this New York area, um, saying, you know, he was supposed to be the next big thing. That didn't quite work out. You know, so-and-so was supposed to be the next big thing. That's Luis Severino was supposed to be the next big thing. That didn't work out. Um, so, you know, we'll see what the, the this Yankees organization can do with these guys now. But, uh, yeah, to be talking about them in this way is certainly strange from my point of view. It is uh, it's really amazing. I mean, the way and Brian Cashman gave a quote um, shortly, I think just shortly before the deadline was officially over and said, this is not the same chessboard that we played on when I started this job. I mean, that's how big drafting and development has become across the board of Major League Baseball. And when you see a team like the Yankees now hoarding prospects, arguably one of the deepest, one of the most talented systems in baseball now. And then you factor in that they're going to have a $200 million payroll on top of that. Um, eh, I wouldn't be so comfortable being a fan of any other AL East team for the next few years going forward because there's a lot of talent in that system. A lot of it is really, really close. We're going to talk about some of that talent coming up on the show today. Um, and on top of that, they're going to have a whole lot of flexibility to go out and continue to add to that talent as well. Yeah, well, that that's the big question, right? Is you know they have this two hundred million dollar payroll, but they haven't really spent it well in the last couple of years. I mean, you're looking at a Rod right now is a dead contract. Uh, Mark Teixeira looks like a dead contract. There's talks about them re- straight up releasing both of those guys, just you know buying them out and 
uh, going from there. I mean, it, you know, the Yankees can certainly do that. They can afford to pay these guys millions upon millions of dollars to just go away. Uh, but, you know, the Jacoby Ellsbury contract, he's not exactly living up to that. Um, so, you know, Brian Cashman is a guy who's kind of going to change up the game plan right now. Um, but, you know, looking at what they got, Clint Frazier definitely looks like he's an impact major leaguer in, in the outfield. Uh, Gleyber Torres, we'll see how he sh- kind of shakes out at shortstop, whether he sticks at short, moves to second. Right now it's him and Jorge Mateo right there in the middle of the Class A advanced Tampa infield. Um, so, yeah, you know, they turn assets into uh, future assets, and now now the development kicks in. Let's parse this out a little bit more. Sam's got a great tool shed piece that is up on the site right now, which kind of goes through the winners and losers from a minor league farm system standpoint on the trade deadline. Everybody's got a column about who the winners and losers at the major league level are. The winners and losers are a lot more difficult, obviously, to nail down at the minor league level, but Sam's got a collection of each most improved and the organizations that paid the biggest prices in this deadline year. Sam, who stands out to you most among those? Yeah, that's one thing I want to point out, too, is, um, you know, I wrote a column last week, which was looking back on the 2015 deadline and saying, you know, it's it's tough to do these flash winners and losers. So I don't necessarily like to put them in that way. I mean, it's it's a way to get clicks. It's a way to get everybody reading. Um, but it's, you know, which of these farm systems were most improved? I put the Yankees at the top of that list. Uh, you know, so you can call them a winner if you want. We'll see if they actually got the right prospects in the years to come. But uh, second on that list, I have the Milwaukee Brewers, who might be the game's uh, top system right now. You know, we know Orlando Garcia just got called up to the majors. We can talk about that a little later. Uh, but he was their top prospect. They add to that getting Lewis Brinson and Luis Ortiz from the Ranger system uh, in exchange for Jonathan Lucroy and, and Jeff Jeffries. Uh, and they also pick up Phil Bickford, another top hundred prospect from the Giants and the Will Smith deal. Um, so it's it, you know, this is a team that was already rebuilding, continuing that process, getting two more or three more top one hundred prospects. I think they're they're now up to eight on MLB.com's list. Uh, Brinson looks like a guy who's very much an impact major leaguer in center field. Uh, he's having a down year this year. At, year was having a down year this year at Double A Frisco uh, when he got. Moved to the Brewers organization, got called straight up to AAA Colorado Springs, four hits in his first game. So maybe it's all past him now. Who knows? But uh, he's a guy who who can definitely play a good, uh, you know, it can be a, play a good center field. Um, has a decent arm, so it provides you plenty of value there. Then has the speed and some power as well. So that that whole package is what you know the Brewers are adding there that he certainly looks like a guy who can uh, be their starting center fielder down the line. Uh, Oakland A's picking up a nice package, uh, getting three p- pitching prospects from the Dodgers and Grant Holmes, Frankie Montes, and Jaro Cotton. Uh, Holmes is the standout there, but I, I would keep an eye on Montes. Uh, I'm still high on him. He, he went through rib surgery in the offseason, uh, pitched a couple games this year, then went back on the DL with complications due to that rib surgery, uh, but still a guy who can throw heavy heat uh, has a pretty good slider. It's that two pitch mix that makes people think he would be, you know, a closer in the big leagues right now. I would still like to see him be a starter. He can still rack up plenty of K's that way. Um, if you know, if the A's are buying him as a starter, giving him another chance, maybe at the end of this year, start of 2017, uh, to hammer down that role. You know, I, I, I think a number three starter, which might be Montes's realistic. Uh, 
role, you know, in the major leagues, if he does stick in that it, as a starter, is much more valuable than you know an eighth eighth inning guy. Uh, so keep an eye on Montes now in the A system. The A's not necessarily very rich in pitching. They added AJ Puck in this year's draft, but uh, beyond that, you know, these three guys will certainly strengthen their pitching core in the in the minors. Uh, and last one I want to touch on quickly was just the San Diego Padres. We talked about this in the past. You know, they did most of their deals before the deadline, um, but it's part of trade deadline season. So you know, a team that picked up Anderson Espinosa, obviously maybe the game's best young teenage pitcher uh, right now. You know, he's in that conversation with Julio Urias. Uh, still, you know, a couple levels away. He's only got Class A full season right now. Uh, in Fort Wayne, you can go back to our discussion with his coach or manager last week, um, talking to him about Espinosa's switch to the Padres system. But that's certainly a good pickup for the Padres. Uh, I think now three of their top seven prospects are now from the Red Sox system. So there's an interesting pipeline there. We can have that discussion another day. Uh, but they also pick up a 2015 first rounder and Josh Naylor uh, from the Marlins in a deal for uh, Andrew Kashner. So the, the the Padres are certainly a system that was good. They have some good pieces. Now they get even a little better. Uh, Espinosa immediately becomes their top prospect. So when you're looking at which teams got significantly better, I think at, at, in terms of their farm system uh, this time around, it was the Yankees, Brewers, Padres, and A's. Uh, all all four of those systems uh, are significantly better now than they were you know at the start of this trade deadline season. It's pretty amazing how organizations can reshape themselves. Uh, You know, I mean, especially we've talked about this before, but when you look at the way the San Diego Padres have evolved over the last, what would this be now, 20 months or so since A.J. Preller took over, that organization has gone from very good minor league system to everything torn down in exchange for major league talent to all the major league talent torn down and re-exchanged for a very good minor league system. I mean, it's incredible how quickly these organizations can take on different forms over the last couple of seasons. And now we're going to start looking at some organizations who may need to evaluate the way that they get back to that stage going forward. The Texas Rangers obviously come to mind. They gave up a ton of talent. Uh, Lewis Brinson, you mentioned, goes four for four in his debut. Cleveland Indians among them. Todd Frazier exiting, uh, which is going to be a a big loss for Todd Frazier. Did I say Todd Frazier? Clint Frazier exiting, uh, which is going to be a big loss for any organization. Um, Speaking of big losses, had to cut his hair. Not not an easy thing. No, um, he was actually a Twitter moment, which yeah, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that was. Pretty I didn't know if that was curated for just for me, but then I think it was like the lead on the sports page is that enough people were recognizing that Clint Frazier, you know, the glorious redhead that he is, had to cut his hair. Um, hopefully, it's not Samson like, and he has to lose all his power now. Yeah, but, true. Uh, yeah, it, that kind of swept the internet by fire this week. He gave some good blue steel as well in the uh, in the selfie that he posted. Um, but how do these organizations move forward? I mean, at this stage, Sam. We talked about it as it pertained to the trade for Aroldis Chapman. The Cubs obviously are all in with what they gave up to acquire Aroldis Chapman, which seemed like just an absurd amount of talent to pay for a three-month rental. But um, as Sam put it in his Toolshed column, quote, when you have a motivated front office trying to break a century-long World Series drought, that's what happens. Um how do you go forward now if you're these teams? Because if it doesn't, only one of these teams, and maybe not even one of these teams, is going to win the World Series. If it doesn't happen and you gave up all that talent, where do you go? What's the jumping off point from now? Yeah, well, that, that's the thing is that it's the big gamble. Uh, I, the good thing for the Cubs, I'll bring up the Cubs just because that was the last point you made. I mean, the Cubs are so rich with talent already anyways, right? I mean, that was the one hole they had was that maybe they needed a better closer, so they go out and get Chapman. But all around – 
you know, the park. They're they're pretty much full for the near future. Infield, you're talking about Chris Bryant, Addison Russell, Javi Baez, Ben Zobers is signed to a long deal. Anthony Rizzo still a young guy. Uh, and then you go, you know, outfield, Jason Haywood signed to a long-term deal. Dexter Fowler looks like he's going to stick around for a bit. Uh, they, they're trying out Wilson Contreras out and left. They're, they're trying a couple different, different options there. Jorge Soler is still a guy there. Um, so is this a team that necessarily needs to have a stacked minor league system? Probably not. I mean, they, um, it, would it be better? Yes, but they, they still have Ian Happ. They still have Eloy Jimenez. Um, I think Dylan Cease could get back there once he proves his health. Um, so the, you know, they, these are for the Cubs specifically, this was a chance to go for it. Um, you know, if you're a Cubs fan, you might've wished they would have gone for it with somebody like Andrew Miller, who, you know, you would have under control for a little longer than just this year rather than Chapman. Um, but that would have cost you extra in prospects. So, you know, they, they gave up Gleber Torres, but Torres was always going to be stuck behind Russell at shortstop. And, uh, you know, whatever they decide to do at second base, if they decided to move him over there. So, um, you know, in the in the Cubs situation, uh, it is a gamble, but it's a gamble that doesn't mean as much to them as it might to to other teams. Um, you know, when we're talking about the Rangers, same kind of deal. I mean, the Rangers. The good thing for the Rangers, if you're a Rangers fan, you didn't give up Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo is still in the system, still the same top prospect. Yes, he has holes in his swing. Yes, you know he's going to strike out a ton, um, but that power isn't going anywhere. And it seems like he was always the the big prospect that we were talking about that was almost destined to move because you know the Rangers were looking at pitching, they were looking at Jonathan Lucroy. Uh, how were they going to able to make that happen? It seemed like they were always going to have to give up somebody like Gallo, but they didn't end up doing that. Uh, they also hold on to top, the game's former top overall prospect, Jerickson Profar. So there's still lots of young talent there for the Rangers. Uh, a couple, one team that I'm particularly worried about in this, and it's it feels weird to say this because they've usually been so good at developing talent, is it feels like the Giants don't really have much left. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And they gave up Phil Bickford. They gave up Adda Belt. Adalberto Mejia, apologies to Adalberto for not being able to say his name. Uh, <laughs> Lucius Fox, you know, not the uh, the shortstop from the Bahamas, not the Batman character. Not the Batman guy. Yeah, not, unfortunately. Too bad. I mean, if they traded the Batman guy, that would be interesting. But yeah, the way well, it works out, Lucius Fox. I, I, Lucius hear, I hear he has great tools. I don't know why they <laughs> trade that away. <laughs> that was I'm like a sorry. joke Ben should have made. I know, I know. <laughs> if it, uh, Yeah. I would be astonished <laughs> if Ben knew Lucius Fox from either way. We'll have to ask him later. Yeah, we can ask him. We can ask Stick him. With that. I, I probably am not giving Ben enough credit. But anyway, <laughs> so the Giants, what feels like is left in their system, the only top 100 prospect they have left is Christian Arroyo. Uh, you know, who's, who's a guy I like? He's, he's certainly a good hitter. Uh, he's hitting 283 right now at AA Richmond as a 21-year-old. Uh, but he just seems like he's a guy with a – you know, cap, a ceiling, whatever you want to call it, as just a major league average infielder. Maybe there's a little extra value there if he sticks at shortstop. They've been trying him out a little bit at second base, uh, and that's when there's less value because, you know, there's better hitters at second. Um, so this, th- there isn't anybody in this system who just screams excitement for me if, if you're a Giants fan. Now, you know, the, the, your team's leading the NL West. You're trying to hold off the Dodgers. You you try to make these moves to improve the Major League team, and that, you know, that comes with a price. 
but it, it feels like giving up Phil Bickford for a left-handed reliever in Will Smith just felt like a real big overpay for a system that you know didn't have that many top prospects to begin with. Um, so I'll be interested to see how they kind of handle that going forward. Do they try to you know gather some more prospects? Do they just decide we're going to go for it? We're going to develop these guys and uh, yeah, that that system seems to have taken the biggest hit. I would say out of out of all the others, even which even those that gave a lot more top talent um at least there's something left in the cupboard that doesn't feel like it's really there for the giants strike number two that may have been our longest strike one ever i liked it i liked it it's a good in-depth strike one yeah that's a, there was just no yeah, i was gonna say there were lots of foul balls but even one foul ball is strike one so yeah, anyway true well, yeah, just, that's a good point it's just, it's just a very long strike one that's fine we're, going on, we're not going lots on of information strikes. we should i guess technically always do our foul balls after strike two before we get to the strike eh, <laughs> it's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of production meeting we're overthinking in things. the middle of the show yeah. strike two cleveland indians prospect francisco mejia cannot be stopped uh the indians have a guy right now who's been hitting Basically, since I think as of today, since like 1964, um, Francisco Mejia is the fourth ranked prospect in all of the Cleveland organization. And as of today, stands one hit shy of matching Jamie McOwen's most recent minor league baseball hitting streak record. Uh, Jamie McOwen, also known as James McOwen, former Perth Heat and Adelaide Bite Star, uh, hit for 45 straight games with the High Desert Mavericks in the California League back in 2009. Francisco Mejia has just passed Brandon Watson of the Columbus Clippers in 2007. Next up after this will be a whole lot of guys who played from 1954 and prior. The longest hitting streak in minor league baseball history, just to throw this in, Joe Wilhoit of Wichita in the Western League in 1919, hit in 69 straight games, which is one heck of a nice hitting streak. That year, according to Baseball Reference, and obviously dicey minor league stats from 1919, but that year, uh, Joe Wilhoit played in 145 games combined between Class A Wichita, Double A Seattle in the uh, Pacific Coast League, and in 145 games he batted 393 with a 533 slugging percentage. We don't have an on-base percentage for him. In 128 games in the Western League, he batted 422. So pretty good, uh, Joe Wilhoy. But that's the crazy thing about this hitting streak right now for Mejia is that is relatively within shouting distance now. Yeah, and, and before we get going on this, I just want you to hit the people with who's number two on the all-time yeah, uh, number two, streak. If any of you could have guessed, Joe DiMaggio, big shocker, <laughs> 61 games for uh, San Francisco, the San Francisco Seals back in the PCL, which I believe the 1933 San Francisco Seals, uh, the DiMaggio outfield, I believe, was in uh, was in full effect for the, uh, the old 33 Seals. But at, at any rate, uh, Joe DiMaggio hit in 61 straight games, so owns the uh, Major League hit record, obviously. Uh, with his 56 game hitting streak this season, 75th anniversary, and also a second place on the uh, the minor league hit streak record books. It's ridiculous. That year he batted 340 uh, and 100. And, this is 187 games. Could that be right? I mean, it could be. Could be. Um, yeah. And oh, by the way, he was 18 years old. Uh, let's not think about what we were doing. At he had 414 years. total bases that year. Okay, I'm done. Anyway, Francisco yeah. Mejia. Yeah. <laughs> That's who we're here to talk Mejia. about. It's just like, if you get bored one day, just go look at Joe DiMaggio's baseball reference page. It's absurd. No, but, I mean, it's important to put this in that context, right? Is that yeah, that absolutely. happened in the 30s and the, you know, 1919. And uh, the last time we were talking about something like this was 2009. I mean, this type of hit streak 
you know, in case you weren't already amazed by it, does not happen. Uh, you know, Mejia is a guy who coming into the year, somebody we thought about as a defensive first catcher. I mean, he, he got a 70 grade on the 20 to 80 scale for his arm uh, behind the plate, you know, with in the Indian system, um, a 55 for fielding. So he, he's a guy who can handle himself back there. You're not going to want to run on him. Uh, not very easy to do. Uh, but he, he had to repeat a level this year. So we, you know, not exactly the greatest hitter um, in terms of tools. You know, hit 243 with a 670 OPS last year at Class A Lake County. They sent him back there to start the year this year, and he just catches fire. I mean, he was hitting 347 with a 915 OPS in 60 games with the captains uh, before getting bumped up to high A Lynchburg in the middle, um, at the end of June, excuse me. And uh, it's just you know, kept his hitting streak going there. Uh, like Tyler said, we're up to 44 games now. Uh, he's hitting 337 with Lynchburg uh, with an 834 OPS. Not going to have the best power, but he is a switch hitting catcher, uh, which is always fun and, you know, makes things interesting. Uh, this week's Carolina League notebook is about that um, and his decision to start switch hitting, uh, where he got it from. He got it from a manager. Uh, you know, how that's helped him build, you know, this 44-game hit streak. Uh, he's certainly a guy who I would put, you know, top two or three candidates for breakout prospect of the year. Um, you know, not necessarily a guy we were talking about as the best in an Indian system now. He's one of the best catching prospects in all of baseball uh, just for both that defense, which is just as good as it was, as we thought it was at the beginning of the year. And now his hitting prowess is just off the charts. Um, you know, still at the low levels, but uh, it's a, it's certainly a promising start. This is what you want to see out of a guy repeating a level, and uh, you know, we'll see how far he goes. Francisco Mejia, because of the promotion, because of uh, rest that he's gotten in the Lynchburg lineup from time to time, has not gone without a hit since May 25th with Class A Lake County. That was against Dayton. That was actually back-to-back hitless games for Francisco Mejia. And since then, he has hit in every single game for over two months. So keep an eye on that. Now that we talked about it on the podcast, we'll probably ruin it, and we'll get angry tweets and emails from Minions fans. But we had to talk about it. Dude's amazing. It's incredible. I mean, even if he goes over five tonight with five strikeouts, I mean, that does not diminish what he has done on the season. Um, And, you know, it'll be a great story that hopefully we can write at some point. Uh, just about what it's like to come to the ballpark every day knowing you need a hit. I mean, guys do that anyways, but then when you add on 44-game hit streaks, I mean, what does that do to your psyche? Um, do you just see it, I just need a single and get it out of the way and then move on? Or I don't know. I would lo- I would love to talk to him and get into his brain on what it's like to be uh, be on such a hitting streak. Strike number three, Sam. The Boston Red Sox are where we head next. And uh, number two prospect, Andrew Benintendi, who was called up to make his major league debut in his first game, 0 for 2 with a strikeout, but still arrives on the scene with a whole lot of uh, high expectations. This season combined between Class A Advanced Salem and Double A Portland in the Carolina and Eastern Leagues, respectively. 97 games, a slash line of 312, 378, 532. That's 9-10 overall. He's driven in 76 runs. He's only played for Portland for 63 games this season, but their RBI leader with 44 driven into the Double A level. A lot of really tantalizing tools for Andrew Benintendi and a really exciting jolt of, uh, you know, an infusion of that young prospect talent into a team that's fighting in a division race. Yeah, I mean, it, it, a lot of the talk with the Red Sox was what big trade are they going to pull off? You know, we saw them get 
um, Drew Pomeranz. We talked about the Anderson Espinosa trade earlier today and in earlier in podcasts, but it was always, you know, the, what else is there going to, what else is going to come? I mean, Dave Dombrowski is a guy who we know prefers major league talent over prospects. So he's willing to trade, you know, prospects and other organizations he's worked in, even if they're kind of hyped up. Um, so while we always thought Benintendi and Mankata were untouchable, maybe there was a chance there was some blockbuster that Dombrowski was going to pull off. Instead, on the day of the trading deadline, it news breaks that the Red Sox obviously didn't trade for an outfielder, um, didn't trade for another bat, but they're going to bring him up within the organization. Uh, Benintendi slides right into left field, uh, giving the Red Sox, I think, a really good defensive outfield. I mean, you talk about Jackie Bradley Jr., um, one of the best defensive center fielders in the game this year. Mookie Betts, who has some time in center field as well, um, has a little bit of injuries this year. Might be limited a little bit more to right field than we thought. But, you know, with JBJ there in center, that makes him good. And Benintendi, who has always been a center fielder and always been a plus center fielder. I mean, this is not a guy who is moved to left out of necessity for his own skills. It's because of, you know, organizational need. Uh, you know, he, he got his first start last night. Uh, I got to see him strike out against Edwin Diaz, which is unfortunate. But then again, everybody's striking out against Edwin Diaz these days. Um, so Benintendi, you know, despite making that jump straight up from double A, the Red Sox seem to think this is a guy who can immediately contribute to the major leagues, immediately help them in their chase for the AL East uh, or a wild card spot. Um you know, showed tremendous power, surprising power when it, during his days at Arkansas. You know, won a Golden Spikes Award during his junior year. That power isn't quite showing up in that way of over the fence um, power this year. He's hit nine homers, um, but he does have 12 triples, which is tied for the most in the minor leagues, as well as 31 doubles. Uh, so 52 total extra base hits on the year. Um, this is a guy who, you know, does muscle the ball all around the yard, has a little bit of speed that'll help him him as well and uh you know might be in the conversation for top 10 minor league hitters this year um just given what he's shown at both high a and double a um, but now they move him up to to the major league level and uh it's certainly exciting times to to see guys you know we always want to see them tested and uh it looked like he wasn't being tested anymore at portland so now he's tested at the game's highest level and uh we'll have to see how it works out for boston so uh, more prospect graduations. It's rare that we've had a week over the last two seasons where the prospect graduations have been outshadowed, uh, overshadowed by anything else. But obviously the, the trade deadline will do that to you. And 44 game hitting streaks will do that to you as well. So uh, congratulations to Andrew Benintendi and Boston Red Sox fans who will get to watch him for the uh, foreseeable future. And that brings us to the end of three strikes. We didn't have any foul balls, did we? Did I miss anything? Well, I, I just want to throw in uh, Orlando Garcia. Also oh, yeah. Orlando Garcia. Debut. Yeah. Uh, he, we'll call him a fourth strike. We don't really even want to call him just a foul ball. Uh, yeah, Orlando Garcia, um, you know, bumping over Jonathan Villar. We'll make this real fast. Uh, Villar was having a career year and kind of keeping Garcia down at AAA, uh, Colorado Springs. You know, Garcia's hitting 267 this year with the 723 OPS, but he has that gold, golden glove um, that everybody likes to see. If you ever get a chance, just look up his highlights on the site. Um, you'll never be not amazed at what he can do at shortstop. Uh, it should be at least an average bat in the majors. He'll kind of grow into it, but he uh, he seems very much like a cornerstone of this Brewers rebuild, and uh, now he gets that taste of the majors, and um, you know it, it might take him some, some time to adjust, 
to to pitching at that level, but his glove is certainly ready for the for the task. So with that, we wrap up three strikes for the 70th episode of the show before the show podcast. And from the road, Benjamin Hill, who's taking a tour through uh, the western slice of the United States. I don't want to say western half because he's only making it as far east as Idaho and Nevada, but still. Ben's out west. Very rare that we talk to Ben when he's a time zone behind me rather than one or two ahead. But Ben is uh, out on the uh, the left coast checking out some California League action tonight. We're going to hear from him on the start to and continuation of his western swing. Benjamin Hill joins the trade deadline recap edition of the show before the show podcast coming up next. <laughs> Watch the stars of tomorrow today on MILB-TV. Before they made it to the show, stars like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant were on MILB-TV. Subscribe today to get more than 5,000 minor league games streamed live and on demand, including games from affiliates of all 30 major league clubs. Select all-star and postseason games are also included. On the go? Watch on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch with the free MILB First Pitch app. Visit MILB.TV for details. Headed out west to the Golden State for one of our first ventures out to California this year where we catch up with Benjamin Hill, who is on the road in Modesto, California, the home of the Class A Advanced Modesto Nuts of the California League for day three of his sojourn through California. We'll see some Idaho, some Nevada, some Washington going through. It's all God's country out this far west. Hi, Ben. Hi. You know, it's all God's country. It is. It's God's <laughs> earth. This is, it's, this is God's green it's earth. Whole, it's the whole planet, the whole solar system. Um, yeah. Hey, welcome. How's California? It's good. It's God's country out here. I enjoy it. It's um, it's uh, it's it's very it's very hot in the Central Valley, um, but at night it is very cool. Or not very cool, but it's comparatively cool to how hot it is during the day. And uh, all things considered, it's uh, it's pretty nice. I'm uh, I'm enjoying myself so far. Like with most trips, I feel like I've been on the road within hours. I feel like I've been on the road for days. So I have to remind myself that I just got out here late Sunday night, and it's only. Uh, what day is it now? Wednesday? Wednesday. Um, Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like I've been on the road forever and this has been my whole life already. But that's the way it is. You just uh, you jump into it and it totally overtakes you. And that's a good thing sometimes. Well, tell us about your first couple of stops. The state capital of California, Sacramento, is up on night number one, uh, taking in a Sacramento River Cats game. And then Stockton's Banner Island Ballpark, uh, home of the Stockton Ports, a Class A advanced affiliate of the Oakland Athletics. Give us a synopsis of the first couple of nights. Yeah, I spent Monday with Sacramento, um, the Rivercats. I've never been to Sacramento before, and that was one of the things in making this itinerary. Uh, I didn't make it west of Omaha last year, so I really wanted to hit a, hit the West Coast in 2016. And um, I'm at the point now where I, if I go to a certain region, I need to make sure I go to the ballparks I haven't been before. And in Northern California, that was Sacramento and San Jose. So this itinerary is a uh, you know, dedicated to them to an extent and that I needed to make sure I, I hit those two places. And I started off in Sacramento. And, um, you know, as you guys know, uh, uh, Rally, Rally Field is a, um, you know, the River Cats, since they opened in the late 90s, have been one of the top draws in minor league baseball. Um, and that park still feels pretty new. Um, definitely feels like it's of a piece with what you think of when you think of uh, the 21st century minor league baseball experience, even though it was open in the late 90s. So I was there on a Monday night, so not the hugest crowd, but still probably six or 7,000 people and uh, beautiful weather, a cool breeze, uh, views of the uh, Sacramento skyline beyond right field, and uh, a very nice ballpark and a team that's done well for, for a lot of years now and has been one of the uh, 
the uh, premier organizations in uh, Pacific Coast League and AAA baseball. And why has it done so well? Is it something about the park or is it just, you know, Sacramento is a big city. I mean, it is a, it's a major sports town, at least in one uh, aspect, you know, they have the Kings there, but uh, what makes Sacramento so successful and what were you able to see about that success on Monday? Um, Well, yeah, I think a lot, it is a, it's a fairly large market. They have a lot to draw from and that's always a huge part of it. But as we see, um, you know, in other large markets uh, in minor league baseball don't don't necessarily draw well for a variety of factors, whether it's a ballpark or there's too many other entertainment options or there's a more um, you know transient or uh, a population that doesn't really have hometown roots or pay attention. You know, there's all sorts of factors. But um, Sacramento, they, they, did, they did a really good job here. One, the ballpark is privately owned. So that brings a set of problems in that you have to fund everything yourself. But, you know, as it should be. Um, they are able to, you know, control their destinies a bit more than other clubs, uh, you know, see exactly what they're able to do with the, uh, you know, the revenue they have and uh, the investments they can make. So they've been able to, you know, keep adding things every year and it's a proactive ownership. And uh, I think they split the line well between, um, you know, being uh, not over the top with their promotions and with their overall experience uh, because they are AAA and because they are now in year two of being a Giants affiliate and uh, you know, the Giants are the most popular town in the region. So there are a lot of people, more than most, um, uh, that care about the actual, you know, what's going on on the field because you got a lot of fans coming in just to see uh, Giants affiliates. And before that, they were the A's. So they've always had a local connection with the affiliate. Um, but they, of course, have the fun and games as well. And, you know, they're still going to be wearing like a good burger jersey next Saturday and that, and that sort of thing. So they uh, split the difference pretty well. And uh, it's just a, it's an engaging atmosphere. And, um, you know, they've really put baseball on the map. That city has a long history of baseball, you know, going back to the glory days of the PCL and the Sacramento Solons. And I didn't know what a Solon was. I've known for years that Sacramento had a team that was called the Solons. And that's a name for a legislator, a lawmaker. Really? So, you know, Sacramento. No. Yeah, so Sacramento is a Sacramento is a state capital, and they were the Solons. Wow. And uh, yeah, and that 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 uh, team left. They said Solon farewell and uh, went elsewhere. <laughs> and they, uh, Sacramento was without uh, minor league baseball for a while, but uh, in the Rivercats era, they're they're doing very well. Evidently, they are named after uh, Athenian statesman, lawmaker, and poet Solon, who lived from roughly 638 to 558 BC. Obviously, obviously. Of that's what we all know. Wait, so you, you, wow, you looked that up quick. It's quick on the Google. Quick on the Google. I pretend yeah. to be smart. So there you go. It's really just the fact that I can Google things really quickly. It's the only, it's the only asset there you go. that I have. I didn't know if Solon was a, a BC state, uh, you know, a long ago statesman, but I guess uh, he made such a mark that that became a catch all term That's for pretty amazing. And, uh, yeah, so there you go. I did not know that. Um, there are two big things that uh, that you have done that identify somewhat with the home parks, and Ben's going to ask you about one of them, and I'm going to ask you about the other uh, from Sacramento and Stockton. Sam's going to ask you. Did I say Ben's going to ask you first? I called yeah, Clint I Frazier, say, Todd he, Frazier. I mean, it's happening today. I had family I mean, in town for the last two weeks. The question of himself, he, he's more than welcome to. I've that averaged like five hours sleep because I was playing with my two-year-old niece for like the last two weeks. I'm just don't no don't, excuse. Don't worry about not. me. Don't worry about me. Also, I'm just uh, not that good at this. Sam, please go. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that intro, uh, no, I, I wanted to touch on what your experience was like as Ronald Reagan, Ben. Oh, right, right. Everything blends together. I should have uh, brought that experience up immediately. Uh, the Rivercats, like a lot of teams, have a locally specific uh, mascot race, and Sacramento's is the heads of, heads of state race. 
And those heads of state are three uh, noted California governors, uh, Ronald Reagan, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Gray Davis. I mean, within that triumvirate, Gray Davis does not really have the same cachet as uh, Ronald Reagan or Arnold Schwarzenegger. But those three, uh, you know, like the racing presidents or what have you, those three race against each other every game. And uh, the team said, do you want to be, uh, you know, you want to be Ronnie? You want to be Arnie? They didn't even offer me Gray Davis. I guess they thought that was beneath <laughs> me. And, you know, I, 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 no disrespect to Gray Davis. But I chose Ronnie, uh, you know, a true conservative and, uh, you know, hero of the modern day GOP. So, I uh, suited up as Ronnie, wore a huge, comically oversized uh, Ronald Reagan uh, mask and uh, ran the race, and I won. And uh, that was a good experience. But what wasn't a good experience is you finish the race, and you know by that point, we've entered in like center left field and cut across the outfield and all the way down the third baseline. And uh, then you have to enter the stadium at the first base side and walk up the stairs and then take the long walk on the concourse all the way around back to the outfield. And uh, it was thankfully a fairly cool night with a breeze. But as much as I say, I'm trying to be the best in shape, uh, the most in shape minor league baseball writer of all time. I still have a long ways to go. And I was a little winded after the race. And then I just have this big head and I'm just feeling sweating through it. And I'm going up the stairs and people are, you know, touching me and asking for pictures and me and my fellow heads of state are uh, posing for pictures. And it just seemed like this like little walk to the area where I could take off the mask is taking forever. And I started to think like one of these days I'm going to participate in something like this and literally not be able to take it and have to rip off my head in front of terrified, you know, children and fans and traumatize them or just pass out. And then they have to see a dead, you know, uh, <laughs> racing mascot on the concourse and, uh, I have to be careful. I want to say yes to everything, but I was thinking, man, if it was a little more crowded and more fans were interrupting us, or if it was a little hotter, um, I really might, you know, freak out and lose it in this thing. So, uh, you know, lesson learned. And of course, when someone asks me to do it again, I'll say yes. And the lesson won't truly be learned until something horrible happens, because uh, that's that's the way I roll. So often we have to kind of peel back the curtain to like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's minor league baseball, whatever. But really, um, when you see a, a mascot at a minor league ballpark, very often that is a low totem pole staff member who is doing that for uh, really for a lot of love of the job and not a lot else. So go easy on that person, because that is not an easy gig. And it's not like there's some handsome financial reward at the end of the night uh, when you're dressed up as, you know, a shark or a, a giant uh, anthropomorphic being of some kind that isn't really a, an animal or a thing, uh, but is for some reason still a mascot and is about 50 extra pounds of just sweat and cloth all over you. It's not easy. Not an easy life. The mascot life. It isn't. It isn't. But I don't want to complain too much. Well, no, one, I don't have fun. to do it every day. But but it's still fun. It's still a surreal moment. And yeah. you know, every time I'm in one of those suits, it's such a funny experience because you forget you know you're in this suit because it it overwhelms you. But at the same time, when you see people, you forget what they see because they're yeah. still looking at you because you're looking at them. And it's really hard to say, like, they're not seeing you as you envision yourself. They're seeing something totally different. Yeah. And it's uh, really a bizarre thing. And when you pose for pictures, you smile. And you're like, well, you know, no one – can see me smiling, but it, you still have to smile. And it, it's just a very surreal thing. And uh, to interact with people in a way you wouldn't normally because it'd be weird. And uh, I really like that aspect of it. And I think that's why people do, you know, people who are into being mascots, you know, really dedicate themselves to it because you put on that suit and you become 
someone or something else entirely and just have a whole range of uh, interactions you wouldn't normally. And it's, it is a lot of fun, but it is extremely tiring and you have to be in very good shape. And, oh, man, seeing these Central Valley, California teams, you know, I'll see a couple of nuts tonight as mascots, you know, Wally uh, and Al. Al's an almond. Wally is a uh, walnut. A, a walnut. Hey, <laughs> there you go. Hey. <laughs> It's going to take a while there. Uh, well, he's a cashew of some kind. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. I was like, is he a cashew? You know, hey, maybe my head's uh, I'm losing a little bit. So anyway, you know, props to all the mascots, especially in the hot heart of the summer in these very hot regions because it is rough. So that was Sacramento, the mascot foray. Um, there was a, a food foray in stockton stockton california the asparagus capital of the world has the asparagus dog now did you get to eat the asparagus dog did the designated eaters eat the asparagus dog i had the designated eaters eat eat the asparagus dog they they don't they have it you know you know for a backstory here um you know central valley as a whole is obviously um huge with agriculture and farming and stockton specifically calls itself the asparagus capital of the world so the ports in recent years, you know, has have have had a alternate logo featuring uh, an you know asparagus on the logo. Five o'clock dock. This uh, I guess guy on the ports who I, I guess unloads shipments of or loads ships up with asparagus. I don't know what five o'clock dock does, but anyway, he's uh, <laughs> he's part of a, a team's alternate uh, asparagus logo, and they do have deep fried asparagus every day at the concession stand. Uh, the, the asparagus dog, which they prepared us last night, is not something that's available every day. They do have it on certain days and tied into larger asparagus promos, but they made one for us last night. And uh, I think everything I've done on this trip, which has not been only two stops so far, that got the most immediate reaction as regards Twitter, uh, this picture of the asparagus dog. And most people saying, like, why would you ruin a hot dog like that? And, you know, this is disgusting. That hot dog looks really good. And then you put asparagus on it, you know, at least bacon wrap the asparagus or drown it in mustard or do something because why would you do that? But it's good because if that was just a hot dog, who would care? It's just another hot dog at a baseball game. But when you uh, put asparagus around it, you give it a regional tie. You give people something to comment on. And, um, you know, you get your name out there a little bit. So we had the asparagus dog. My designated eaters seemed to like it quite a bit, although I think they like the hot dog more than anything else. And uh, it was an Alpine hot dog, a local brand that is apparently well regarded in this area. So uh, they were all about it. And uh, the ports are all about the asparagus. And uh, they gave me a shirt yesterday. They said, would you like a shirt? And I usually say, you know, I don't need a shirt. And uh, they said, well, here, pick pick out a shirt. And, of course, I picked out one with asparagus. And I will wear it proudly for the rest of my life. And one thing they made you do too was you had to dance for your dinner. What what exactly did that mean? And uh, which you had you to do before, I think, at other parks, right? I've done it many times. I've danced for many dinners at Marley Ballparks. <laughs> never have actually gotten an, a dinner out of it. Um, you know, the ports. It was a Tuesday night, and uh, Kevin Hart was playing at the arena next door. So the ports were definitely a little overshadowed in the entertainment scene in Stockton last night. Uh, so it was a fairly sleepy Tuesday night, but the uh, Ports front office staff, you know, led by General Manager Brian Meadows, or yeah, Brian Meadows. I almost said Brian Fellows. Uh, Brian Meadows. Um, <laughs> Brian Fellows. I called Sam. Yeah, really ben, good. So. Yeah, you know, it's a confused kind of day. But uh, the port staff were just great, really engaging all day. Uh, you know, gave me a lot to work with. And uh, as the game went on, they're like, "Hey, you want to dance for your dinner?" I was like, "Okay." And I did some uh, ridiculous on-field dancing. I led the I led the crowd in the seventh inning stretch. I uh, shot some slingshots. Uh, you know, I, I uh, launched some stuff into the 
into the sky during a between inning contest uh, so a kid could try to catch it in the net and uh, X, Y, and Z. Talked to a lot of people. So it was one of those days where I was really engaged with the on-field stuff and with the uh, inning-to-inning operations, and uh, it was a lot of fun and uh, really appreciate the ports for uh, being so proactive and uh, making a memorable night. And, uh, you know, I did a quick blog post on it yesterday, and um, that came up today. And uh, there will be a lot more where that came from as, as the days goes on. Tonight, the Modesto Nuts. Tomorrow night, the San Jose Giants. The 5th of August will be the Visalia Rawhide. And then a couple of PCL stops, August 6th and 8th in Nevada, Las Vegas, and Reno. And we will talk to Ben just prior to his uh, next stop after that, which will be in Idaho, the Boise Hawks, the Boise Memorial Stadium. And then a couple of stops in Washington, the Tri-City Dust Devils, and the Spokane Indians. That will round out the trip, but a lot to uh, to look forward to. What do you have on the docket for any of those? Anything stand out? Um, for the most part, I'm just taking each one as it comes. I don't have, uh, you know, I have a few potential one game ideas lined up, but I am, you know, it's, it's the ultimate cliche in sports, but you see why it's a cliche. You know, when I wake up in Modesto, I just need to say what needs to get done today. Cause if I start thinking, Oh wait, San Jose's tomorrow and then Visalia, and then how long of a drive is it from there to Vegas? And then what do I need to do there? I go nuts and I'm getting better Well, I'm going to the nuts game tonight, but I go nuts in a different sense. Um, if I, if I think about these trips, um, you know, in a, in a longer term context and get really stressed out. So, um, you know, I've tried to do my advanced legwork. I've tried to be in touch with the teams. I've tried to scout around for ideas on my own and, uh, via Twitter. And, uh, you just, you really do, you just take it as it comes and, uh, you know, you wake up one place, go to bed in another one, see a game and, uh, just take it all in stride. And, uh, I really do enjoy it as it's all happening and flowing, but, um, a lot of the logistics and uh, planning, like, oh, I got to do this. I got to file this story. I got to drive here. It is, uh, whew, it takes a lot out of me. So every once in a while, I just have to play. Uh, I'm really into cribbage on my phone. Every once in a while, I have to play a few games of cribbage, you know, clear the mind and then and then move on. Okay. And we'll, so along those lines, what are you looking forward to most about tonight in Modesto? And I guess we, we'll check in with you next week, see how it went. But what are you looking forward to about tonight? Uh, tonight in Modesto, um, I think the food stuff will be interesting. I had some fun. I was there only three years ago and, uh, had some, uh, fun with the food there. Um, I've got the designated eater t-shirts now for the guys who, uh, volunteer for that job. Um, so interesting to see, uh, what, what kind of food stuff they got. I think I'll uh, participate in a few between any contests, talking to some long-term fans, you know, the usual Ben's biz rigmarole. Last time I was in, uh, Modesto, uh, as you may or may not know, Modesto, was the location for the George Lucas film, his pre-Star Wars breakout, American Graffiti, you know, about kind of classic car culture. And that was set in Modesto. So there really is a classic car culture in Modesto. Last time I went to Modesto in 2013, I, I wish I remembered the model of a car, but they drove me out onto the field to start the game and throw out a first pitch, uh, you know, riding in the back of this classic car and waving to the fans like they knew who I was. So it was uh, memorable but ridiculous. I'm not sure if I'll get that kind of star treatment. This time they're probably like, this dude's coming here again? Like, we're not getting him a convertible? Come on, man. So we'll just see how it goes. But, uh, you know, Modesto, um, you know, it's known for agriculture. It's known for the nuts. It's known for classic cars and American graffiti, and we'll just kind of see how all those elements combine or don't and, uh, you know, have a good night at the ballpark. He is Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz. He's been keeping up with the trip there as well as on Vine and on Instagram. You can find Ben there as well. He is the Ben's Biz on Instagram, not to be confused with Ben's Biz on Instagram. So go find Ben at all those places. And uh, we'll talk to you from Nevada next week, I guess, Ben. 
Yeah, Nevada or uh, Idaho or uh, somewhere. Idaho, yeah, yeah, you know, somewhere in the Mountain West Conference. There you go. That's that's where I'll be. And uh, until then, yeah, one day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time. That's the mantra. Benjamin Hill on the road through California all this week into next week. He'll be in Idaho. He'll be in Nevada. He'll be in Washington. Keep in touch with that. Like we said, all over social media, Ben's got good stuff there. And we're finishing up this week's edition, the 70th episode of the show before the show podcast, wrapping up our, uh, our trade deadline recap. And a lot of those guys are going to be on the minds of, uh, of those of us who are MILB.TV nerds. Sam, who are you uh, keeping an eye on now that we're in this post deadline world in which we inhabit? Yeah. So when, we were talking earlier about what certain farm systems are going to have to do now that they traded away a lot of their talent. If you're a Cubs fan, you can still watch a pretty good uh, South Bend team uh, headed by Eloy Jimenez, who I think is the reigning Midwest League player of the week. Just a guy who's absolutely on fire right now for the South Bend Cubs. Hitting 347 on the year, 12 homers, 2 triples, 35 doubles. Uh, was a star at the Futures game, was also a Midwest League all-star, won the top star our award at that all-star game. Uh, this is a guy who I mentioned before, Francisco Mejia is in the conversation for breakout prospect of the year. I think that's headed by Eloy Jimenez. It's just a guy who showed incredible hitting ability, both for average and for power. Uh, I got to talk to his manager this week who, uh, who said, you know, this is a kid who just, you know, has learned to take it the other way, which that sometimes takes a little time when you're going through the minors. Guys just want to pull the crap out of the ball. Uh, Jimenez is a guy who's willing to take his singles, his doubles to right field. Um, if it means taking a little bit of the power off, he's willing to take those hits. So you get to see, you get your chance to watch him play uh, both the end of this week and this weekend. Uh, South Bend will be at home. All of those games are on MILB TV. The one I would tune in for is this Friday at 7:35 Eastern, uh, because not only will Jimenez probably be playing, but Cubs prospect Oscar de la Cruz, he's number seven in the, the Cubs system, will be making a second Class A start for them. Uh, he's a guy with a plus fastball and above average curve, um, can flash some pretty good stuff, stands 6'4", 200 pounds, so there's lots of projection there. Struck out seven batters over four and two-thirds scoreless innings his first time out. We'll get a chance to build on that second time out, hopefully last a little bit longer. Um, but between those two guys, if you're a Cubs fan, worried about what the state of the system is after you traded away Gleyber Torres in that Chapman deal. Um, now is a chance to to get to see what's left, and South Bend is a pretty good chance for that. Um, what are you going to keep an eye on for, Tyler? I'm going to go somewhat of a different route this time around. I was going to say, yeah, one of the guys who I'm really excited to see what he can do, especially where he landed, is Lewis Brinson. Goes 4-4 in his debut. He's obviously in a very offensive spot in Colorado Springs. But I'm going to go a different route and keep an eye on the Oklahoma City Dodgers and outfielder Yasiel Puig, who was uh, sent down to Oklahoma City, obviously, right after the deadline. Puig is still, when he is healthy and when he is on, arguably the most exciting player in baseball. Is he a prospect? No, he's not a prospect in the traditional sense, but this is a guy who's way too talented to not be helping somebody at the major league level. And I think when you see a talent like that come down to the minor leagues and really be confronted with you know, somewhat of an existential baseball moment, I have a feeling there are some really big things lying ahead for him. And that Oklahoma City roster is still really, really exciting with a lot of really talented pieces too. Uh, Oklahoma City is home this weekend hosting Round Rock, um, but there's a lot of really good talent still on that team as well. Uh, you know, James Ramsey is 
plays in that outfield. Uh, we've seen some good talent already pass through there. The pitching staff obviously is very, very talented. Jose De Leon is still there. Um, Ross Stripling has been really good. Julio Urias we've seen so many times and talked about so many times this season. So that team has had a lot of really good profiles move through. He's just a very interesting dimension that kind of changes up the feel of a Milb TV game or a, a series of games for this weekend. So going non-traditional, Sam. I'm going with Puig. Love me some Puig. Love him. We are a baseball podcast. I mean, we have to bring up Yasiel Puig at some point in, in our podcasting. Um, and the fact that he is now within our realm in the minors, it, it makes that a perfect excuse to bring him up. You're right. I mean, uh, I was listening to Vin Scully earlier, and every time I think of Puig, I, I think of him calling him the wild horse. Uh, and, you know, now that we get to see that on an MILB TV feed, um, and, you know, if you're a person in the LA area, you have direct TV, you can't watch Dodgers games anyways, this might be your chance to see Puig. Who knows? So, yeah, I definitely like that pick. Uh, it's a little off the wall. We're, we tend to focus a little too much on prospects, maybe at, at times. But, uh, yeah, Puig is definitely a. a somebody who you want to see uh, before you know he shows up in your highlight reels the next day. So that will finish things up for episode number 70 of the show before the show podcast. Get in touch with us. Sam's on Twitter. He is at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. Minor League Baseball is at M-I-L-B. I am at Tyler Mon. You can also get in touch with us on the old email machine, podcast at M-I-L-B.com. Tweet us your questions, your thoughts, your comments, your concerns. You can email them as well. Uh, before I say anybody else's name wrong or do whatever else I've done this week, I think we're going to wrap this episode up. But big thanks for tuning in. Big thanks to Ben, who is on the road. Again, you can follow him. He's at Ben's Biz. And, uh, you know, enjoy enjoy your trade deadline acquisitions. For those of you who got shiny new presents, have fun with them. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.